How many people here, by show of hands, have ever been deceived? Who hasn't been deceived, right? Here's a bad thing about deception. In the time where you're being deceived, you don't know that you're being deceived because you've been deceived. Does that just make sense? You don't understand that what is happening around you, there's information that you lack, whether you're willfully ignorant because, hey, if, if I learn too much, then I've got to change things. I'd rather just stay where I'm at. Or just everything has been so held back from you. You just you did you made the best decision you could, and your assumption was everything was on the up and up, and you were okay. Only to find out later, oh man, I've been deceived. And it is the worst feeling, one of the worst feelings emotionally as humans that we can feel. It, it conjures up so many emotions. We feel angry towards the people who have deceived us. We 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 feel bitter. I mean that leads to bitterness. We feel stupid. Like, how could I have not seen the, the evidence around me? Why was I so either, either complicit with this through ignorance or, or why didn't I just want to see the truth? What was wrong with me? And then, and then there's just depression, sadness. I, I'm so hurt over this. Someone's betrayed me. Something wasn't as I thought it was. And, and every one of us has been through this in some way or some shape or some form. Maybe – Maybe it's in, 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 a, in a really bad way where, where someone promises you they're going to change. They've come to you and say, hey, you know, life was rough. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm changing. I'm trying to get my life back together, and I just need your help. I just need some money. I just need a place to stay. And, and, and as soon as you extend your hand, they betray it. They take the money and they use it towards drugs. They take the money and they don't use it towards what they, they asked uh, what, for the reason they asked for it. And you're deceived. Or, or maybe you've had a friend for a really long time. You thought they were your friend. And, and, then, and then you find out that through reliable sources, not just gossip, not just hearsay, but you find out for reals that they've behind your back – like really behind your back, they are, they are cutting you and, and undermining you and, and talking about how ridiculous you are and how foolish you are, and, and you feel so betrayed. You thought this was your friend. You thought this was somebody who was like family. Deception is horrible. Being deceived is, is, is bad. Let's flip it around, and, and you don't have to raise your hand for this one because it's a little more embarrassing. How many of you have ever deceived somebody else? Let's not play the right on. Let's not play the holier than thou card only. How many of us have, have said things or done things or portrayed ourselves in such a way that was deceptive? We haven't been truthful. We haven't uh, praise God you guys are brave enough to raise your hands at that. And and I don't say that to to just sort of, you know, make examples of you, but we can very easily see ourselves only as the victim and never see ourselves as the ones who victimize others. We can see ourselves as the ones sinned against, but, but not see ourselves as the ones who have sinned. And the Bible says all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So let's just, let's just level the playing field. We've been deceived and we have deceived others. And I pray that you've repented of that deception and that there's been reconciliation. But the reason why I bring this all up is, A, not to just make everybody depressed – because all of a sudden everybody's like, yeah, and now we're like, oh, I won't talk about the ice cream again. 
The reason why I bring that up is because we're all being deceived. Because of our flesh, if you understand the nature of your flesh, your human nature, you, you understand through the Bible that it is continuously deceiving us. It is continuously lying to us. And one of the greatest deceptions that we fall for is the deception of religion. In the eyes of the world, we are religious people. If there are two boxes, religious and non-religious, we are considered religious. But within our faith, we are very non-religious. Religion in its most basic form are methods and practices that man has developed to reach to God. So if you think of a really good example, think of the Tower of Babel in the book of Genesis. That was, that was these men in these groups building a tower to reach heaven because God is up there and we are down here and, and we've got to build this gap between us and him. Really good example. If you've ever been a part of, and I don't mean to pick on any one particular uh, religion, but if you've ever been part of the Catholic faith, great emphasis on your works and what you can do, the types of prayer that you're supposed to, the scripted prayers you're going to say. I remember being a kid in the third and the fourth grade, and there were kids, they would get to leave class early. Where are they going? They're going to something called catechism. They're learning about their first communion and confirmation. And I don't know what these were, but they were getting out of things like PE and math tests. And I thought this must be great. As I've grown up, I've come to learn that these were places where uh, children would go and they would learn scripted prayers and they would be taught things about the Catholic faith that honestly you're hard-pressed to find uh, commands from the Bible to do those things. Um, what it ends up being is, is, is man's attempt to reach God. And you talk to folks and maybe you're, you're one of these that you grew up in that and you were deathly afraid of of the things that, that you were learning and the, and the consequences for, for not saying the right prayer or saying it in the right manner or coming in the wrong way or, or, or later on in the week messing it all up by swearing or, or drinking or doing something. You just mess up all this and have to do it all over again. The religious framework that was built up to reach God was all made and manufactured from the human heart, which is faulty because of sin. There are those who who have great instincts. Maybe they're usually salespeople. They just they have great instincts. They or or they're they're leaders because they can think quick and instinctively they know what to do, and that's great. There's nothing against that. I'm not, I'm not against that. But what I want you to know is that your heart, un, left unchecked by God through His Holy Spirit and the redemptive work of Jesus, is flawed severely. It's like trying to find north with a broken compass. You won't do it in the natural heart that you have. This is why the Bible speaks of, of Jesus coming into us and radically transforming us from the inside out. As you read the Bible, you, re you realize that Satan attacks us from the outside in. He attempts to, to lure and, and, and deceive us through our flesh, but Jesus enters in us through the Holy Spirit to change us from the inside out. My belief is that God knows us better than we do, and he knows if he can get our heart, he'll change everything else. All this other stuff on the external will change if the internal is changed first. And so I want to, in every sense of the word, reveal to you the deception of religion. 
Paul has, through the book of Galatians, for the first four chapters, gone to these people through, through writing a letter. Remember, he, he's a traveling minister, an evangelist, if you will. He's going from place to place, starting churches. And in a day and an age without mass transportation or communication, his own, the only way he's going to get to these people to instruct them is to write to them. And he writes this wonderful letter to the Galatians. In the first four chapters, he spends deconstructing everything that they know. He starts off right off the bat in chapter 1 saying, look, there's, there's a gospel. There's the gospel. There's no variation of it. There's no, there's no gospel for children, gospel for women, gospel for men, gospel for blacks, gospel for whites. There's the gospel. And that is the gospel which I preach. And, and some 10 or 15 years has passed between the start of the Galatian church to the writing of this letter. And in that time, false teachers have come in and infiltrated and come in and brought their own teachings and changed the gospel. And the church, the Galatian church, were deceived by them because it was religious. Because they could do something tangible. It would make them feel as though they did something. True or false, when you pray, do you sometimes feel empty because you feel like you haven't done anything? That if you could just light a candle or or say that prayer with a certain person or go to a certain place, that maybe, just maybe, God's ears would be turned to us and he hear our prayer. Because, Because by ourselves, there's nothing. I prayed and I got nothing. And I don't, I don't have any confirmation that he's heard me or, or that he's going to do something. Nothing's changed right in this moment. And false teachers use that as an opportunity to come in and say, well, yes. And specifically this group here, they came in and said, well, yes, you need Jesus, but you also need circumcision. I'm a horrible salesman. I don't know what kind of men these were that could come into a church and say, you know what, we're having circumcision Sunday. Like not ice cream Sunday. We're having circumcision Sunday. And men lined up and said, yes, that's what we need to do. That will change everything. This will be pleasing to God. These folks came in and tried to to mix Judaism with Christianity. Now Christianity has its roots in Judaism, but those things that which they were trying to add to the gospel were fulfilled in Jesus. In the next chapter, Paul will go to great lengths to explain how circumcision does nothing for you except bind you to the law if that's your purpose. I want to fulfill the law. Paul says if that's your, if that's your MO, then you're, being, you're going to be held to the entire law. Go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Chapters 5 and 6 are great chapters. He's been deconstructing uh, all of their thoughts and beliefs. He's been challenging them and their faith. And now he's going to begin to rebuild on the foundation of Jesus, proper theology, proper doctrine, and just the gospel in its most purest form. So this, this sermon series is called The Return of the Gospel. This is, this is the return of the gospel in the letter of the Galatians, or to the Galatians, rather, by Paul through the Holy Spirit. Verse 1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, an outward expression of religion, not, not your salvation, 
that Christ will be of no advantage to you because, because religion has become your Christ in this sense. Verse 3 says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. We're going to read through a few more verses, but we're only going to focus on one today. Verse 7 says, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven or a little yeast leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear, bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. When we get to that verse, be prepared. It's not a good verse. Verse 13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. The one verse I want to focus on today is verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set you free. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Initially, at first, it almost sounds redundant. For freedom, he set us free. Definition of freedom is being free. It seems like he's being redundant. If you're here Wednesday or you're here last night, here, here's, the, here's something in this that we miss in just the initial reading. Now, this is a great truth. And without what I'm about to teach you right now, the, the truth of this word is not changed. Think about a, a, a two-dimensional image becoming three-dimensional. That's, that's the attempt here in the next moment. For freedom is a phrase that the Greeks and the Romans used in this day and at this time to release people from slavery. Now, as Americans, when we think about slavery, if you're like me, you remember Abraham Lincoln, the Civil War, the North and the South, and you remember that African-American people were captured from Africa and different countries, brought here and forced into slavery. And while the Bible is speaking about that form of slavery, it's primarily speaking of a different form of slavery. So how many here, you don't have to raise your hand, how many people here are in debt? We're Americans. It comes with the, it comes with the this job description. Debt is nothing new. And in this day and age, people who were in debt, if they could not pay their debts, there weren't things like foreclosure. There weren't things like uh, payment consolidation. There wasn't things like filing bankruptcy. If you could not pay your debt, you became somebody's slave. So let's say you, you have a farm, you have a field, you want to grow it, you borrow money. So you can buy seed and everything, and oxen and, 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 and hire workers, and then the crop doesn't come in, and you don't make enough money to pay back that debt. There might be a clause in your contract, or, or maybe just through the law, you would become that, you know, the, the debtor's slave, and you would begin to work off that debt. Debt is a form of slavery. This slavery could be purchased. So let's say I have a slave and I own this person because of this debt that I have. Somebody can come and buy that debt. If, if you've ever worked in the mortgage industry, this happens today. 
you you buy a new house, you close, you're all excited, you celebrate. By the end of the month, that mortgage has been sold to somebody else. Someone will buy that debt, pay a little extra for your mortgage so that they can uh, reap the interest benefits. It's not very uncommon. In, your, in the life of your mortgage, it will sell half a dozen times if at the very least. And so somebody could come in and say, hey, I'm going to buy your slave. What's his debt? I'll pay off his debt. But now he's mine. That's a lateral step. For that slave, life hasn't really changed. Assuming both slave owners are of equal character, they're going to be treated the same, they still belong to somebody. But in rare cases, men could come in the name of one of the plethora of Greek gods that they worshipped and say, by the name of this god, I purchase this man's freedom, and for freedom he has been set free. For freedom, this slave has been set free. It's the same verbiage that Paul uses. Church, when Jesus died on the cross to set you free, he didn't set you free to go back to bondage. He didn't set you free so that your slate could be wiped clean, so that you could go back to sin and Satan and death. He freed you for freedom. He didn't just purchase you as a, to be his slave. He redeemed you. He paid your penalty and your debt so that you could be free to worship him. Now, I don't want you to walk away deceived and think, oh, there's a third option. I'm a slave or I'm free and I can go where I want. No, you're free to worship Jesus now. And if you understand the depths and the depravity of your slavery, you leave the slave master to run to Christ. You realize what he has done for you, that through grace you have been set free. Church. The deception is that through religion, you will find this freedom that we are seeking. And Paul says, that freedom that you're seeking through religion is actually slavery. That that freedom that you think you're purchasing through your, your self-righteous acts and your very religious practices, those are actually chains around your hands and ankles. Church, we live in an area, I want to speak very specifically of the context in which we minister and serve. We live in a very religious area, and that makes spreading the gospel extremely difficult. Because most people are satisfied. I don't know why, but they're satisfied in saying a scripted prayer, lighting a candle, going to this or going to that, and feeling as though they've checked off their spiritual checklist and everything's okay and the rest of the week belongs to me. And the gospel, if you know the gospel, that Jesus is God and he die, He comes to earth, he lives a sinless life and dies a sinless death so that we can be saved that our debts could be paid, you realize that nothing short of everything you have given back to him is enough to worship him. You realize that you, yes, you were enslaved, that someone else owned you, that even through religion, the things you thought you were doing right, that I went to this and I went to that and I was baptized as a baby, did nothing for you. They just, they just made the chains that much heavier. Paul says, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that you have been freed for freedom. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Now, contextually, yes, you are, you are saved from sin, Satan, and death, but contextually, Paul is saying, and he is declaring that you've been freed from religion. 
The false teachers that came in then, they came in with the gospel mixed in with something else and it eradicated the gospel. Whenever somebody comes in and teaches, oh, you know what? You need Jesus to be saved. You need him as your Lord and Savior and you need to worship on Sunday. No. Oh, you need Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you also need to celebrate new moon festivals and that's, no. You, 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 you have Jesus as your Savior, but you must worship this saint if you need this done. No, that's, that's the gospel. That's Jesus plus something. And that takes away the gospel religion. If you're having trouble identifying what religion is in your life, ask yourself this question. What is it that I'm doing that makes me feel as though I am working to earn my salvation? If I don't do that, God won't perform. That's religion. One of the biggest movements we have to we have to fight against right now if folks is folks who tell you, hey, just give your tithe, just sow a seed, and then God will perform for you. As though God is a is a is a circus monkey. And if you give him your, your coin, he'll do a little dance and jig for you. Hey, you, you need something, just give some money. Hey, you want something? You want that? Hey, sow a seed. And they turn God into a mockery. And we're going to read in chapter 6 that, don't be deceived, God is not mocked. Well, there, there are some preachers and ministers who love that verse because the next is whatever you sow, you'll, you're going to reap. And they say, hey, sow into our ministry so you reap good, reap good stuff. And they miss the first part, God is not mocked. Church, that's a warning. You, you can't turn God into your own personal Ponzi scheme. And any preacher or minister who would preach Jesus in that way We'll have a very serious conversation with Jesus on the day of judgment about the way he led and shepherded people and deceived them and kept them focused on stuff. See, we're, we're a culture who loves stuff. And you can put anything in stuff. We love TV. We love music. We love, we love sports. I love sports. You guys love sports? Football starting. Like real sports are starting again. We don't have to pretend we like baseball anymore. Football starting. I'm going to leave it at that. So, <laughs> so, but, but I love sports. Some of you love cooking. I love cooking. I want to cook better, but I love cooking. I love watching movies with my family. I love stuff. You love stuff. Our country is in debt because we love stuff too much. And there are preachers and ministers and, and, and ministries who teach us, hey, God will give you more stuff. And it, the Bible says that tickles our ears. And we flock after that. Who, want, who wouldn't want to chase a God who's going to just give you stuff? You mean all I have to do is give this amount of money and, and, and then God will give me anything I want? No wonder people are going to hell in droves following that gospel. Because it reaches the, 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 the sinful flesh that so desperately wants to be fulfilled but is never satisfied. we've been freed from that. What does that mean? It means that now we no longer have to live in that way. Here's the good thing about worshiping Jesus. It's not about getting rid of all your stuff. We call that asceticism. That's, that's folks who say, oh, we, Christians must be poor. It's reverse prosperity gospel. Prosperity says everybody should be rich. Asceticism says everybody should be poor. Both are wrong. Okay. But when you understand the gospel, you realize 
that the stuff you have, whether it's it's actually just stuff, it's your car, it's your house, it's your job, or if it's the family you've been blessed with or the wife or husband you have or, or, the, or the friends that you have, you realize that they're a blessing from God and you enjoy them in their proper context. They become that much more valuable to you. You begin to enjoy them at, in what how they should be enjoyed. You no longer worship what you have. You now enjoy it. It's not about getting rid of your stuff or feeling like, oh, I just I shouldn't buy myself anything because blah, blah, blah. That's just that's religion and self-righteousness all over again. It's wow, the Lord blessed me with this job. I, I love this job. And as long as I should have this job, I'm gonna I'm gonna work it the best that I can. And I have these wonderful kids that they're they're wonderful. They they're loud and they run around, but I love them because God has blessed me with them. And, and the word says that blesses a man who has a quiver full of these arrows that are children. That I get to send them off to go and do good works for Jesus. I get to, I get, they get to be like arrows in my bow that I send out for the gospel. So you begin to, you begin to embrace and see life in a different way. You, you can now see life past, past the tragedies that are happening all around us. Psalm 91 says that though a thousand fall at my one side or 10,000 at the other, it's this place of extreme chaos. It's this place of extreme tragedy. So many people preach that in a context where you go, roar! It's like, well, hold on for a second. Put yourself there. A thousand people dead at one side and 10,000 dead at another. That's a place where you revere God and say, wow, I don't know how you have saved me or protected me, but I thank you that you have. Church, as you go out into the world, as you go out to your jobs and you go out back to your families and you, and you go to reunions and graduation parties and all that you do, you are carrying the light of Jesus. And you are witnessing people who, who are counted amongst those thousands and the ten thousands. But there is hope for them to hear the gospel, that they'd be raised back up from the dead. And I said this a few weeks ago, and I, and I, feel, I just feel it needs repeating. I want you to know that your salvation is a miracle, nothing short of a miracle. I'm not one of those guys that has a big like fireworks type of a thing. I was, you know, I didn't find myself lying in a gutter with, you know, a needle in my vein and overdosing of heroin and, and, and doing all these horrible, horrible things. I was a 12 year old kid at a Bible study in Bakersfield, California, the armpit of California. And, 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 and I just went to Bible study with my grandmother, and the minister made a salvation plea, and I raised my hand. And then years later, I, I, I needed to make that decision all over again because 12 years old, I didn't live for Jesus for another 12 years or so. But that plea was made again, and I raised my hand, and I came to an altar, and I prayed, and I gave my life to Jesus. And in that, in that moment and in that time, something changed, not, not by my choice, but, but by God's grace through his Holy Spirit. I, I began to desire him above all things. Church, I, like I said, I like stuff just like anybody else. But the thing that I desire most is God's will and what God wants. When I pray for you, you might come to me and say, this person's dying and I want him not to die. And I will pray that he will not die or she will not die, but I will pray for God's will to be done first and foremost. And that's a tough place to be. It's not easy because it's like a kid with a dad. You have to, as a kid, you have to say, dad, I trust you. I trust 
and believe that what you want is best because you're bigger than me. You know more than I do. Religion says, we can just make God do whatever we want. The Bible tells us that God's not our puppet, that God is our father, that God is our savior, that God loves us, but that he is sovereign and we are not. That he is not bound by limitations, but we are. That his days aren't numbered, but, but our flesh days here, these, this body, limited. And so I want all the deception to be gone. <sighs> Washed away. The deception of religion that says, say a certain prayer, say it a certain time, say it with certain people, say it in a certain church, say it in a certain way. There are people, this is a little bit of a side note, but there are people who are very adamant, they truly believe this, that you must say, amen, and not amen. As though God's ears cannot hear the, the, the long A sound, he needs the amen. And there are people who, because of their religious nature, will feel very convicted if they don't say amen. And then to kick it up a notch, there are some that will say, well, no, 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 it's amen. See, if you go to the original, the original Greek or whatever, it's actually amen. And that's the way you're supposed to say it. Does God only know one language? Like, I think he knows so many languages that he gives us the, 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 the gift of speaking in tongues because there's, there's even more languages that we don't even know. If your heart's not right and you're saying amen or amen or whatever, it doesn't matter what's coming out of your mouth if your heart's not right. If you're just being religious, you're putting all your faith in yourself anyways. We need that deception to go. We need to we need to take Galatians 5.1, the beauty of the gospel, that we have been set free to be free of religion. Here's the, here's the glorious promise of all this. When you understand this, when you understand that religion is nothing but slavery, and that gets that gets taken off your shoulders, you you literally can feel lighter because that burden has been taken away. Church, Jesus is in the business of taking away others' burdens, uh, the burdens of the world, I should say, and giving you his burden, which he says is a yoke of lightness. It's this yoke where you and him are, are, are together, and he's doing all the heavy lifting. You ever lifted with somebody and you're doing all the heavy lifting? They're not really helping. Maybe you've got a kid that you're, moving, you're trying to pick up a refrigerator. Like, I want to help! Like, oh, okay, kid, stand right there and put your hand on it. Now they think they're lifting. I'm helping daddy. And you're like, yeah, I'm doing all the work. You're just like walking. Jesus is doing all the heavy lifting. We're the little kid on the side, our hand on the side of the fridge, thinking we're doing something. Praise God, he lets us be a part of that. He does all the hard work, but we get to be a part of the work as well. That we get to tell people about Jesus. Yesterday was kids' day in the park, or kids' day in the something. It was in Canastota. Anybody go to it? I didn't because I didn't know about it. I was so disappointed that we, we as a church couldn't be there to just share the gospel with folks. Just, just hand out flyers or tracts or whatever. What a great opportunity it would have been to just do that. To be a part of what God is doing. I praise God that I'm here in Canastota. Now, many of you don't like this area, and for good reason. Winter will be here soon, and you'll have to shovel 
and snow blow and there'll be snow days and driving to work will be horrible. I get that. Okay. But I love being able to minister in this area to you at this church. I love you guys. And when you guys revert to religion, it breaks my heart. Like, it's like, oh gosh. I just, I just want you, my prayer has been for you, not that you would be like me, because God forbid more people would be like me. But I pray that, Lord, that person who sits there, I don't even remember their name, but I pray for him. And I pray for Stephanie, and I pray for my dad, and I pray for Mark, and I pray for Vi, that they would love Jesus more than anything. That they would wake up wanting to do what he wants to do. And I don't pick you guys out for any specific reason. I had my eyes closed, and that's who I was thinking of. You, you, I want you all to just look at Jesus, and everything else would just melt away. And you would say, man, life is hard, but I have Jesus. Life is difficult. I'm crying. I'm hurting. It hurts, but I have Jesus. And these days, they come to an end. This season doesn't last forever, but Jesus does. Jesus does. That's the glory of the gospel, and that's what I invite you to today. Not not my version of the gospel, but the Bible's version of the gospel. The good news that Jesus died so that you wouldn't have to. That Jesus lived so that you get to. That one day, this will all be over. We will be with him. He will be our God. And you read the book of Revelation and it just blows our mind. We can't even comprehend. For centuries, men have been like, well, this means that and that means this. You know what I get out of the book of Revelation? The bad will be over and the good will only remain. That, that Satan will be gone and sin will be eradicated and Jesus will be our God. And we will worship him. And the Bible says it's like, it's like an ocean, roaring thunder. An ocean before him, worshiping him. Some of you probably look at me up here when I worship the Lord through my guitar. Thousand and one things running through my head. The number one thing that I'm trying to focus on is Jesus. I'm trying to be like that ocean. I'm trying to say, it doesn't matter who else is watching me. It doesn't matter what key I'm in or if my voice is going or, or if the guitar's not in tune. I just want the Lord to know my heart in this moment through this song. Through these weak chords, through these redundant lyrics, I want him to know that I love him. And I'm hoping you guys will follow along. And not just, oh, Tony's doing it. No, we got to do it too. That you're out there going, man, I just want God to see me. I just want him to hear me. And I want to assure you that he did before you ever opened your mouth. Oh, man, my son asked me this week, Dad, does God know what I'm thinking right now? I said, yeah. Like, what are you thinking about? elephant i said all right i'm like here's the here's not only did he know what you were thinking he knew what you were going to think of and silence what do you think about that oh that's pretty cool yeah before you ever mustered up just just a whispered song or or you shouted at the top of your lungs god knew your heart that should both encourage you and warn you. You can't fake it. You can't just raise your hands and sing the right words and, and think, okay, I'm all right. God knows your heart. But, but let that steer you towards right worship, where you do raise your hands because you want to surrender to him. 
you do you do lift up your voice because you want to sing to him it, it's so surprising to me the the primal nature of music when we fall in love we start singing silly songs to to our spouses don't we maybe it's just me but to my children we sing silly songs all day long because i love them silly songs about putting on our shoes and eating waffles it doesn't matter we're just just singing a song my daughter just hi dad how are you i'm good how are you just because we love each other that's why we sing songs on a sunday morning it's not like we're god's jukebox and he wants to hear a certain song he's just no we're just gonna sing because it's so it's so ingrained in us that that music is a way to worship it's a, it's a tool that we have. Giving our tithes and offerings, I, I, I get a lot of flack from, or not flack personally, but I hear a lot of ministries are like, well, you know, we make sure that we write down everybody who gives and what they give and blah, 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 and then we check up on them. Like, really? Like, you go to church with a bunch of kids? Like, you can't trust adults to handle money, and if they don't give, you're going to handle it in a way like the IRS would? Church, if if I can't if I can't convey to you Jesus in such a way where you're you are flocking to give because you you realize how beautiful and wonderful and awesome He is, what else do I have? How else will I convince you? Guilt? That's that's what I'm left with, and I refuse to do that. For those of you who give, giving is just like worshiping with music. It's a tool. I'm going to give to God because I want to. I want to be a part of what's happening. I want to release this to the church so that they can use it to win souls, to have Sunday bars and parades, uh, floats in the parades, and to, to buy stuff for the kids and to improve our sound equipment and to, to make sure that, that my wife and I have a salary and to, to make sure that the building is maintained and, and to make sure it's, it's not dilapidated and, and that it smells good and is clean. Uh, giving is, a, is another form of worship. Listening. I, I praise God for the Holy Spirit today. I feel as though you guys are more attentive today than you guys have been in a long time. You guys are hearing the message and that is a form of worship that you would be in submission to the message of the gospel here today. I pray that if, if, if anything remains with you today, it would be Galatians 5 and 1, because it's in the power of God's word that you will be changed, not in my words, but in his. But I praise God that, that you are worshiping in a way that you are coming into submission to the word of God. Church, in our country, we love freedom. We, we understand freedom maybe better than the rest of the world. But as such, we tend to abuse it more too. And, and rather, we use our freedom to go back to bondage. We'll talk about that in the coming weeks. But today I want to remind you that you have been set free. And you, you're set free with the truth. That's what Jesus says. The truth shall set you free. Let's stand and, and, and let's just worship a little bit more. I want to pray with you. And I want to pray that that you would take this invitation today. Not to worship like me or to worship like the, us, to worship Jesus, to live for him, to, to give your life to him today in a way that maybe you haven't because you've been holding back or reserving yourself. Christianity following Christ is not easy. 
It is an open invitation, and it's an open invitation to all people. But once you step into this life, you have, you have committed yourself. And you've committed yourself to God, but you've committed yourself to his path. And if you've read the Gospels, you realize his path leads to the cross. His path goes through the valley of the shadow of darkness. His path is littered with suffering. But in his path is him. So I want to pray with you. Jesus, we've been deceived by our own flesh. That religion will make us better. That religion will keep us in line. That religion will save our children. That religion will save our marriages. That religion will make us healthier. That religion will, will cure our, finance, our financial situations. Father, we've been deceived. And Father, we come to you in repentance. Lord, I pray that your people now would come to you in repentance of religion. And we come, Lord, seeking you. We're not even seeking the things that you would give us. We're seeking you. Father, I pray today that, that we would, as the song says, turn our eyes upon Jesus, that all of the things would melt away, that all of the things would be seen in their proper context, that as we embrace you as our, as our Lord and Savior, as our King, that we'd be free to, to enjoy our spouses, our children, the, the things you've blessed us with, our jobs, our relationships, that we would no longer worship them, that we would only worship you. We pray that the altar of our hearts, that the throne of our hearts would be occupied by you and you alone. I pre pray for each and every person here today, Lord, myself included, that as we are tempted to go back, Paul says, stand firm in the truth that we know. The temptation is we'll go back. We'll want to go back. We won't see our desired results and we'll want to do something or, or say something or, or practice something that will, that will quote unquote guarantee your move. Father, help us to see through that deception. Help us to, to follow our spirit and not our flesh. And Jesus, may you be most glorified in us. When, when the outside world sees us, yeah, they might categorize us as religious, but may they not see religion. May they see faith in love. May they see a group of people who serve regardless of the gratitude and serve regardless of the reward that we so desperately just want to preach to them the gospel, that they would see your son, Jesus. And with eyes closed, please keep your eyes closed. Just raise your hand today if this message has resonated with you. Leave your hand up. Is it... Leave your hand up if today is the day of your salvation. Today is the day where you've given your Lord, your life back to the Lord. Praise God. Lord, I pray for those who have raised their hands. Keep ministering to them, Lord. Do that which I am just completely incapable of doing. 
talk to them, speak to them. May they hear your voice and learn to trust you. Your word says that your sheep hear your voice and know your voice. Lord, help us all to hear you and to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.